I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke. We are now nearly halfway through our study of this wonderful Gospel. And believe it or not, we've already spent nearly a hundred hours studying this text together. But if you're like me and you think about that and you think about even your own time in the Word of God as a Christian, you think about all of the things that you've learned and you really wish that you could recall them to mind at any given moment. I know I was telling somebody earlier, I I have all these books that I've taught through and and messages that I've taught and study that I've done, and, and I wish I could have the recall in my mind of all the things that I've ever taught and learned, and yet oftentimes acutely there are certain parts of Scripture that weigh on me seemingly more than others, and certainly Luke is one of them that I've been pondering recently, particularly Luke chapter 12. It has been a rich and rewarding reality to our lives as we have been exhorted and commanded and challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ in in who we are to be and what we are to believe and all the things that we are to live. It has been, in fact, accomplishing, I think, what Luke desired that it would for us as it was for his friend Theophilus. It's been doing that with us if we have been listening, if we have been heeding what it says. We have been given what Luke desired, a certainty about the things that we have heard about Jesus Christ. And one of the truths upon which our certainty about Jesus Christ rests is the fact of His return. Of His return. The return of Christ is the foundational motivation for us as Christians to living for Christ in our life. He is the King of the kingdom. And it is His kingdom in which we belong and for which we are to be living. So the reality is that this is the essence of Christian living here and now. This is what we find Jesus declaring to all who are listening to Him as they follow Him through the countryside on His way to Jerusalem in order to pay the ultimate price for our redemption by giving His life in obedience to the will of the Father, that he might have a people of his own. Jesus has been declaring what it means to actually be a follower of his. All the way back in chapter 9, you can just turn back there for a moment, chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 Jesus says to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. The reality of following Jesus Christ is a daily reality. It is a moment-by-moment reality. It is not a once-and-done reality in which you can simply say, hey, I believed upon Jesus, and therefore I don't have to even live for Him anymore. I'm good to go. Jesus says it is a daily denial. It is a a denial of self on a continuing basis. Every day you are denying self, not in order to gain salvation, but because of salvation. If you have a desire in your heart that you might have eternal life, then you better deny yourself because It's going to take that at the very beginning in order to embrace Jesus Christ. You cannot come with any baggage through the turnstile, if you will, of salvation. It is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ alone. 
cannot gain it through your own means. You cannot gain it through your own efforts. It cannot be in some kind of way in which you think that you can profit yourself in this life and thereby gain eternal life. You cannot do anything in this life that would be anyway satisfiable to a holy God in order to gain eternal life for your soul. Jesus is simply saying you can you can gain all of the earth itself. You can have your barns filled with all the stuff of the earth. Your life here can be settled as it can be and through whatever earthly circumstances and worldly ways you have settled yourself, but none of that will save your soul. No earthly thing can affect the soul and draw it into saving faith. Godless religion that is built on human effort can't do it. Behavioral editing of your life that is born out of human wisdom won't do it. Building and enriching our earthly lives so that we can have the greatest comfort on this earth and enjoy our time here doesn't do it. Setting our minds on the things of this earth. Being greedy for self. Fearing men. Living constantly in a state of anxiousness about the what-ifs that our earthly thinking conjures up. is all just deceitful thinking that is born in a belief that if we gain the world, somehow we can save our souls. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12 that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. Verse 34, he says that. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The opposite is true. You want to know where your heart is? Look at where your treasure is. Look at what you love. In other words, the outward actions of life are the spiritual clothes we wear and they reflect what we love. And we understand that we are not speaking about physical clothes when we say that. Although that could certainly be true as well. But what I'm talking about is our spiritual clothing that which we love, that which we desire, that which is wrapped around our heart, that is a reflection of the veracity of our belief in what is to come. Let me just say it this way. What we believe about the second coming of Christ is reflected in how we live right now, today. We live in a day and age in which within evangelicalism, the doctrine of last things, what we know by the big word called eschatology, the doctrine of last things has been relegated to the back burner so that some will even say that when it comes to the doctrines of the true church, when it comes to all the things that we teach in the true church, because there are so many views within Christendom about what will take place in the last days, that those things are secondary to the gospel. In other words, as long as we believe in the basic realities that Jesus is God and that salvation is in Him alone, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, that is good enough. We can all link arms and be together on all of that, that that is the gospel and that's good enough for you to go on living until you meet Jesus Christ however that might happen. I'll simply say to that kind of thinking, no wonder so many Christians struggle with living for Christ in their daily lives. No, no, no wonder so many genuine Christians have such difficulty living their daily lives. No wonder so many professing Christians and even unbelievers filled with worry, filled with anxiousness about the things of life. No wonder we as a church 
seem to be so tied to the things of this earth that we are, as one man said in the ages past, no heavenly good. That we are so firmly planted in the things of this earth, in the ways of this earth, that we are no heavenly good at all. No wonder the average professing Christian is so fearful to open their mouths about their faith. No wonder we are hoarders and isolators and procrastinators and lovers of all things earthly. We are dressed in the clothes of that which we anticipate to be. Life here. Life on this earth. When Jesus says that we are to live in readiness for his coming. This is what we are confronted with in our text this morning. You notice Luke chapter 12 in this sermon that Jesus is giving that will not end until chapter 13 and verse 9. Right here, beginning in verse 35, Jesus says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alit. In verse 40, he says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus is challenging us concerning what it is we actually live for. In reality, he's challenging us with what he has said back in chapter 9, do you love me? If you love me, then this is what your life will look like. Notice verses 35 and 40 are really bookend words by Jesus Christ about what ought to occupy us as we live today and every day. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. You be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Let me ask this question of us this morning as we think about this text. Where is the treasure of your hearts? Think about that in your own life. This has been pressing upon me as I've studied this own text in my own life. Where is the treasure of our hearts? Are we anticipating what is to come? And thereby, because of that, that it is reflected in how we live right here, right now, today, in, in how we're interacting? Or do we anticipate that we have time? We've got tomorrow. And because of how we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is reflected in my life now so that I live for that which is earthly. You see, beloved, the expressions of our lives, what I'm calling our spiritual clothing, reflect what we love. And what we love is what we are anticipating what we are anticipating. Jesus says, be dressed in readiness for the Son of Man is coming. Are you dressed in readiness for His coming? Right now, at this moment, this day, what is on your mind? I know how it is when we sit in a group like this, when we hear someone talking, when there's a thousand things going through our mind and our minds because they're oftentimes so tied to our fleshiness, can take us down roads that we have all kinds of things that are to think about. We're thinking about what to do tomorrow, what we need next week, what appointment we might have, something brought our minds. We smell a smell, and that takes us down a road in our mind. We see so how someone's dressed, and we think about the clothing that we saw online or, or some item that we saw online. Whatever it is, it's taking us places and distracting us. Are we dressed in the readiness for His coming? That is the question. And that isn't something that is secondary, that is relegated to the second half of the game. In fact, it is to be the motivating drive of our lives. 
We cannot and must not relegate the doctrine of last things to the secondary or lesser thought. For the simple reason that God says that it is to be what motivates our obedient living right now. Oftentimes I I think we are like those in 2 Peter. You remember 2 Peter? We haven't studied through that book yet, but I'm sure you've read it yourself. 2 Peter, they're wondering about what's going on in the day. Peter says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you in chapter 3 of this letter. I'm writing to you, why? Because I want to stir you up by a reminder. What is it? That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior by the apostles. I want you to to realize what you've been taught. I want to stir you up to those things because why? It's so easy to not be thinking about that. It's so easy to to push that stuff aside, to, to think wrongly about those things. Peter says our days are filled with false prophets that try to tell us other things. Oh, hey, listen, you got time. Oh, hey, listen, this is... This is what's going on. You don't have to worry about it today. Peter says, know this first of all. In the last days, mockers are going to come with their mocking. And where's that mocking come from? It's because they're following after their own lusts. And they're saying things like, where's the promise of His coming? They're doubting the reality of the veracity of the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ. Where is His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Listen, 2,000 years have gone by, Pastor. What do you mean Jesus is coming? We have time. Peter says when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter says it escapes their notice that yes, while all these millennia went by before and the people during the flood thought, oh Noah, you're a doof. Why are you building a boat? You kidding me? This is ridiculousness until the day the rain started to fall. God wasn't slow in his promise. God is never changing. What God says will happen. He says the present heavens and the earth by His word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. In other words, time is meaningless to God in His economy. God is outside of time. He doesn't work on our timetables. Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some count slowness. No, don't count his slowness as God just going, yeah, I'll give him a little more time. No, God is patient. Why? Because God has those whom he's saving. And God is not by any stretch going to lose any of those whom he has chosen to save. But today could be that very day that the last one God is saving is done, and Christ comes. This is the point. We cannot and must not relegate the reality of the imminent return of Jesus Christ to some secondary doctrine in which we can quibble about and say, well, yeah, it's not all that important. No, it is essential to your living right now. Ever since the beginning of the true church, Christians have anticipated the return of Jesus Christ. Certainly, the foolish talk about the when it will happen. And they get into all kinds of disagreements about the when this is going to happen, and that alone astounds me since God has said that the only the Father knows the time. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. The reality of the return of Jesus Christ is undisputed within true Orthodox Christianity. 
Unless, of course, you take the view of being a preterist and then you think that all the promises of God happened before the destruction in A.D. 70. And so you don't even think a second coming is coming again. It's already been fulfilled. And that is foolishness. In fact, it's interesting to me, just on a kind of intellectual trivia note of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, the return of Jesus Christ is spoken of 316 times. There are only three books, in fact, that don't mention the return of Christ at all. Genesis, 2nd and 3rd John. I'm sorry, Galatians, 2nd and 3rd John. So it, it was his return that was constantly coming from his mouth. When Jesus was walking the face of the earth and teaching about himself, it was his return that was on his mouth, and it was there both to warn against unbelief. Listen, Christ is coming, so today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts against Jesus Christ. There are no tomorrows. And so he was warning against unbelief and false belief. He was giving the motivator for living for him since you believe upon him. In fact, he said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory, when comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Certainly there's a text there about, about the judgment that you might entail if, if you're fearful to tell others about Jesus Christ because a, one who loves Jesus Christ and one who has been saved by Jesus Christ in your life is flooded with all the glory of God because of who you are in Jesus Christ would certainly share that with other people. And so to simply turn your back on that is to bring upon yourself the judgment of God. But there also is the reality of the uh, the indication by Jesus Christ that He is coming. He is going to return in His glory. He was constantly speaking of His return. Even the night before His death in John 14, verses 1-3, through 3, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If that were not so, I, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, indicating, and I will, because I just told you I'm going to, and I never lie, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? So that where I am, you may be also. I'm coming. I'm coming. Paul speaks of the return of Christ and how we are to live with our eyes fixed on Him. He said to the Thessalonian believers, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says these wonderful words at the end of that, as if those words aren't wonderful enough to just have our eyes focused on. He says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The doctrine of the coming of Jesus Christ is an encouraging doctrine to us. There is nothing more encouraging nothing better to anticipate than the return of our glorious Lord. And how appropriate for Jesus then to give us these words after what he has said already. How appropriate. We have been warned against religious hypocrisy. Remember, be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees. The religious hypocrisy that's before you, be wary of that. We've been warned about that by Jesus. We have been warned by Jesus against self-greed. The greed of the heart which seeks to satisfy self with all that is worldly, including my own emotions, including my own circumstances. 
We have warned about the hard attitude to which self-greed leads, which is worry, worry about the things of this temporal world. Now Jesus is challenging us who follow him to be motivated against those things by his anticipated return. Listen, the antidote for living worldly, the antidote for living in such a way where your life, your attitude, your words, your deeds, whatever it is you do in this life is worldly for living of this world The antidote for that is a readiness for the return of Jesus Christ. How we view the return of Christ will be reflected in how we live right here, right now. It is being reflected by us. In other words, the kind of eschatological clothes we wear reflects in how we live today. And that speaks loudly about what we actually love. Do you think that Jesus is coming in the next five years? Do you think he's coming at all? What about this year? Think he's coming this year? Is he coming today? I don't know. You don't know. Only the Father knows. But how we live reveals what we think about it. How we live right now, how we think right now, how we deal with life right now tells us what we think about it because Jesus says that we are to be living in readiness. Readiness. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming. He is coming. And he's coming at an hour that you do not expect. That's what's so ironically foolish about our attempts to try to figure it out. What does at an hour you do not expect mean? I mean, you only have to have a kindergarten education to actually understand that. We know that he is coming. We have no idea when. And because we don't know when, we better live in readiness for it. That is simply to say that Jesus is simply saying to us, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How are you speaking at the very moment of the very day that Jesus Christ comes? What are you doing? That kind of puts an arresting nature upon every second of the day, does it not? Oh, I shouldn't be saying that. Why? Because Christ might be coming right now. Do I want to be doing that when he comes? Do I want to be engaged in in some kind of sinful thought, some kind of sinful activity, something willful from my heart that I'm saying really in essence, yeah, I got time. Do I want to be engaging in that when the Lord comes? You see, there's an anticipatory nature in the return of Christ. and When it is embraced as it ought to be, it causes us to pause. Causes us to think. Think carefully just how we are thinking about all that we do here and now. How we speak to one another. Christ may be coming in that very moment. The bitterness you're harboring in your heart against someone else, Christ is coming. How we use our resources, what I'm using God's money to engage in in my life, how is that showing? Is that what I should be doing? Is that where I want God to find me in that moment as if He doesn't see me in that moment now? How I use my energies, how I use my time, how much I interact with those who are part of the heavenly kingdom, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the efforts I use to build them up in Christ. If Christ is coming back at any time, then I better be thinking about and editing 
every moment of every day, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, and anything else that is about the life I have here. I better be thinking about how tightly I hold to that home that I have and those cars that I might own and the clothes that I have and the food that's in the refrigerator and the money that God has given me. I better have thought to how tightly I hold to those things. How much I love them. How am I consumed with that which is earthly rather than that which is heavenly? Young people, how much time do you spend every day, even though you claim to know Jesus Christ, how much time do you spend every day gaming with some foolish game? Adult Christians, how much time do you spend your little pocket device playing some foolish app that wastes hours and hours and hours? Since I'm, since I'm kind of in our kitchen, how much time do you spend on that dreaded Facebook? Ouch, don't do that, Pastor. That one's off the table. The first thing you do in the morning is you wake up, you pick up your little device, and you go, I wonder what's happening on Facebook. I got time. The Lord's coming some point. I better check that. I better send this out. I better talk about this. I better comment on this. I better give an enthusiastic thumbs up to the 50 things I've just scrolled through. I'm so tied to this earth that I'm fearful of leaving it. I'm so tied to this earth and its temporal things that I fret over them. My grip on this world is so tight that when God removes it from me, I think, God, you've wronged me. How dare this be mine anymore? Whether that be earthly stuff whether that be my health, whether that be my family or my whatever, you fill in the blank. You see, beloved, if, if that is the clothes that we wear in this life, we are building our lives for this place, and we need to change our clothes. We need to change our clothes. We need to put on the clothes of readiness. This is what Jesus says, be dressed in readiness. What does readiness look like? What does readiness look like? Well, Jesus tells us here, and I, I want to highlight it for us. Readiness number one is, he says, like ensuring that you won't be tripped up when it comes time to run. He says, be dressed in readiness or have your loins girded for readiness. That's the, the ancient way of of saying that. That's the literal language. Let your loins be girded. It's a figurative language because in those days everybody wore robes, long flowing pieces of clothing. You can look in the Middle East today and both men and women wear what we might call robes. Right? Just long flowing clothing. But if you had to move fast, if you had to hurry up and get out of the way quickly in some practical sense, in a physical sense, all that was hanging needed to be girded up. It needed to be tied up. It needed to be brought around your waist, all the loose pieces brought up here so that your legs are free to go. They're not going to trip you up. It needed to be tied around your waist so that you wouldn't be hindered from movement. We get the idea of that. We... We know the history of Israel. We've read our Old Testaments. We know what God said to the Hebrew people when He was delivering them from Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. And I'm going I'm to just paraphrase it for us. He said, listen, you're eating the Passover. Uh, you're going to do the Passover, but eat it fast and eat it with your loins girded and eat it with your sandals on. Don't come to the table like you normally do. Don't come like be read, be dressed, be ready to go. Why? Because I'm coming to deliver you, and you need to be ready to move when the moment comes. You don't know when it's coming, but you know it's coming, and you need to be ready. So have yourself girded up, have your sandals on, eat your food fast, because we gotta go. We need to have our spiritual lives girded, ready to go. All the loose thoughts of our mind, all the, 
loose ends of the world in which we love. We, we need to be not so tied down to that. that. That can't be hindering us. Pull in all those loose ends of our thinking and gird them with the truth of Scripture. Tie them up with truth. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13. Gird up your minds for action, he said. Be ready. Jesus, so what does readiness look like? Well, it looks like those whose minds are saturated, who are tied to the Word of God in everything. What he's saying, be like, be like that. Be dressed in readiness. You be ready, he says. So that's the first thing. What does readiness look like? Well, it looks like you being so saturated in the truth and in your heart and mind, that's what ties you up. It isn't the things of the earth. It's all of that. So when God brings about in your life the circumstances of the day, someone who sins against you, the things of life seem to be used by others in a, in a way that you might not use them. So what? God has given them to you. Don't let that rule your life. Don't let the earthly things of this life be girded up in your mind with the things of God. Secondly, Jesus says, readiness looks like keeping your lamps lit. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. In other words, walk in the light. Walk in the light and keep the light on. Keep the light on. It's no time for us to be engaging in the things of darkness. In other words, be watchful every day. Be watchful every day. Engage yourself in that which illumines your heart, illumines your mind to the things of God. Don't be engaged in the things of darkness. That's worldly things. Don't spend your time engaging your mind and your heart in the things that can't build you up spiritually. That which isn't driving you toward greater Christ-likeness. Don't waste your time with that. Keep your light on. You see, be ready when He comes, He says. You don't, you don't know when He's coming, but He wants you ready. In fact, go over to Romans 13 for a moment. Notice how the Apostle Paul puts this. Romans chapter 13. Right, you know, you, you remember in the first part, he's saying, be, be subject to the government around us, that which God put over us. But I don't like the government. I know we don't like the government, but it's who God has ordained for us to be under. And where they don't tell us to disobey the word of God, we are to come under what God has done. God is the one actually ruling. They'll have to answer to God for their way in which they rule. So don't resist that. Verse 7, render to all what is due them. If it's tax, then give them tax. If it's custom, then give them custom. Fear to fear. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe nothing to anyone, verse 8, except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Just, just serve the Lord as God has called you to. Right? He says, don't do the things of the world, verse 9. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal. Don't covet. If there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no one wrong. And then he says this in verse 11, and this do. Do this, why? Knowing the time. It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. How many moments of that has gone on in history? Now it's closer than the moment faith started to happen. The coming of Christ is closer. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality or strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That's readiness. Gird your mind, your heart, your life with the things of truth and live that way. Paul says, throw off darkness by putting on the armor of light. 
Live in such a way that reflects the light that you are. Not one that reflects the world in which you sojourn. Don't make provisions for your flesh. Don't feed your flesh. Don't give it all the worldly thinking and the worldly doings. Feed that which is spiritual and pleasing to God. So gird up your mind. Saturate yourself in light, Jesus says in Luke 12. Then he says, thirdly, live a servant's life. You want to be in a state of readiness? Then live a servant's life. Notice what he says in verses 36 to 38. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and have them recline and will come and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them, so blessed are those slaves. I think this is a familiar picture to any of us, especially if you've ever been to a wedding. Certainly we have been. Weddings are great celebrations. Certainly I've been to my share of weddings. They are all scheduled. They're always on the calendar at a certain time. But I've never been to one that has ran according to schedule. Ever. They all take place. Generally. Usually about when they say, but never really on the time they say. Well, the Jewish weddings were even more celebratory and would last seven days or more. And so the ceremony was at some point in it, but not necessarily at a given time. And so Jesus uses it as an illustration for our readiness. He says, we're to be living as if we are servants at the master's house and we are waiting for the master to return from the wedding celebration. He says, I'm going away. I'm, I have to go to this celebration. I'm going to a celebration, but I'll be back when it's over. You be ready when I return. We don't know the exact timing of his return because weddings are like that. They're not specific. But Jesus says, but you want to live in such a way that the return of the master could be at any time and you're ready to welcome him when he does come and he knocks. So the master has said to us, I have to go away to this event. I'll be back soon. I don't know what time it will be, but you live in readiness for that return. You be ready for when I come back. Jesus says you need to be that kind of servant. You need to be that kind of servant of mine, the one that the master finds alert when he comes, verse 37 says. Well, that's a great motivator, isn't it? I mean, that's a great motivator. Knowing that when we serve as we ought, there is blessing. And astonishingly, you notice that the master, it says, is going to serve us. That he, when he returns, when he comes, he will say, He'll say to us that he'll gird himself and have us recline at the table and he'll come and wait on us. This is the joy that we have in the Lord. He will serve us. He's coming to give us the best of the meals. He's going away. He's gone away. He's away for a time. We don't know how long. Today could be the day of his return. And he's giving us the best. What is that? What is that? Well, it's to be with him in glory. It's what I read in Second or First Thessalonians 2. 
We'll meet Him in the air. We will be with Christ. And we will be with Him to feast with Him at the great supper of the Lamb. It doesn't matter if it's in the second watch, the third watch, no matter what watch our servanthood is on this earth. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is found ready. Blessed are those slaves I think by watches here, by when he says second watch, third watch, some try to confuse this saying, see, there, there's the reality that Jesus isn't coming right away. The imminency isn't the reality about Jesus' return. The fact of the matter is he's just talking about periods of time. He's referring to the imperative of being ready. The point isn't on the when. The point is on the reality of. The importance is on the readiness, not the time. In other words, since you don't know the time of His return, be ready no matter what the time. In fact, just listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 24 and following, or verse 42 and following, He says this, Therefore stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? He said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, blessed is the one actually doing what God has equipped him and gifted him to do in the ministry of him, of serving him when he comes. In other words, don't be walking around doing things in some frivolous way that aren't God honoring. You serve Christ. Blessed is that servant. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, well, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on that day when he doesn't expect him. And in an hour he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and put him out with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is simply saying that kind of servant is not a servant at all. They're just hypocrites. You say, what's the point, Pastor? The point is the same that we've been saying all along. Be ready for his coming. Live in a state of readiness. It says in verse 39, and be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Be sure of this, Christ is coming, and his coming will be like a thief. If you're in your house, you know that on Tuesday, a thief is going to come rob your house and you knew that today, you would go home today and prepare for that very moment so that when the thief comes, he couldn't steal what is yours. You prepare all of your ways to keep him out. You live ready for that moment. That's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is simply this. You have to live ready for his coming. So here's the question for us. What clothes are you wearing right now? What clothes are you wearing in this moment? In your mind, in your heart, in your life. Our readiness is reflected in how we live. How we live shows us what we think about the return of Christ. Are we so tied to this place that we think we have time? I got time. I don't need to believe today. I always got tomorrow. There are no tomorrows, beloved. We know that. To the unbeliever, I say, you don't have tomorrow in order to believe. You don't have tomorrow. 
He's coming back. Dress yourself with faith in Christ. Walk by faith so that when he comes, he'll find you doing what you ought to do for him. Worshiping him, honoring him, living for him. And to each and every one of us who believe, you don't have tomorrow to serve him. He's coming back. So dress in readiness now. This is what Jesus is saying. Dress in readiness now. Live serving him rather than serving self or the things of this world. We are his treasure. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. That's where your heart is also. And of course, we can be so much like Peter. So much like Peter. Peter just says to the Lord, Lord, are you are you talking about us or is this for everybody else? Are you talking about us? God says, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Where are you living? Well, won't you pray with me? Father, uh, so convicting on my own heart, so challenging to us, so gracious you are for us. So much about our life here that we get so easily tied to this earth. Our thinking, it's so easy for us to convince ourselves even that we're okay. We're doing okay. And the reality is the roots of our planting here has gone really deep. And you desire that we would be excised from that. The Lord convict us where it's needed. Challenge us where it's needed. Help us to walk by faith in these things, to trust you, to know that at that moment that wicked thought goes in my mind, you could return, and that moment those words are proceeding from my mouth, you could be returning. That moment that I'm challenged by someone else's sinfulness against my life, you could be returning. Oh, Lord, I don't want to have any tie to this place that would be a detriment to me serving you. Whatever that is, Lord, help me to say, like my Savior has said, not my will, but yours be done. So that you are glorified in us as you rightly deserve. Thank you for the promise of your coming. And thank you, Lord, for not telling us when, so that we might be ready now. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.